once we put a label on somebody, it can be black, it can be liberal, it can be conservative, it can be whatever. And once we put that label as a negative label, they're less than a human being. Welcome back to the interview podcast on the Y Melbourne Podcast Network. From Melbourne, South Dakota, I'm Craig Weinberg, sitting in studio um, with another political guest. I'm excited to bring to the studio um, from Clear Lake, South Dakota, I believe, correct? Clear Lake? Clear Lake, yes. Dennis Evenson is here. Thanks for coming in. Thank you. On a, on, on a whim, we just stopped in the other day and handing out information, and I hooked you in. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Thanks for coming in. pretty innocent coming in here. <laughs> Oh, man. And your your wife is in studio with us, just not on a microphone. My wife, Jane, who is my partner in life, is here with me. So. How long have you guys been married? 44 years, she said. <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> Good work. Nice job. Um, Clear Lake, have you been there forever? Um, I came to Clear Lake in 1975, uh, and I've been there forever, uh, or ever since then. Uh when I first came there, I came to work as a law-trained magistrate, uh, and then that was part-time, and I worked with a couple of attorneys in a Gunderson uh, law firm, Gordon and Harvey, and uh, Gordon happened to be a good, strong Republican. I was a good, strong Democrat. and uh, In the 70s? Good. In the 70s? That was in the 70s, yeah. How has that changed over the years? That's a lot of time. Like in your in your view, how has the how have the parties changed in that many years? Uh, that's very interesting. I think uh, uh, very a lot more divisive. Uh, when I first came to work with uh, Gordon and Harvey, they knew that I was a Democrat. Didn't know what kind of level if I was strong or weak or whatever. Uh, and I didn't know what kind of Republicans they were. And I found out they're very solid Republicans. But uh, uh, Gordon became my mentor, and we would sit down and talk. Uh, didn't take us long to figure out that there was very little difference between the two of us. Mm-hmm. We're Midwest folks, got Midwest values. Uh, there were some things we disagreed on, but uh, I found out real quick that... Uh, the more important thing was our relationship, uh, and we uh, got along just really good. Uh, as a matter of fact, at one point, uh, Gordon came to my office and said, Dennis, uh, I know you better than my family. Uh, you've become like family to me. <laughs> uh, to me, that was just a really important recognition, mm-hmm. and... Uh, so I had a good relationship with him, and uh, uh, and then Tom Daschle come along, and uh, at one point he gave a call to Jade and I and said, uh, can I visit with you guys? And they came up to the uh, Wagon Wheel Cafe, was still running at that time, we met with him, and having dinner, finished up with the dinner, and Tom says, uh, along the way you told me that I should run for Congress. Did you really mean that? And I told him I was never so serious about anything in my life. Uh, he should run for Congress. Uh, Wait, are you the reason that Dashiell went to Congress? 
One of the reasons, yes. <laughs> wow. Yep. I'm one that gave him a kick and said, uh, go out and do it. Uh, the next thing I knew, right after that, he announced that he was running for Congress. And, uh, oh, so he already knew. You know, uh, I have a high respect for him. Uh, in the politics, uh, you can be as honest as you want, and you try to be honest, but you can get yourself backed into a corner. I call it marginalization. Mm-hmm. Uh, we do that just in the public ourselves. Uh, we try to push people uh, into a corner, might be business, law. As an attorney, and I'm an attorney. Uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, that marginalization is there. Uh, it's one of the passions I have, and, uh, and that is. Uh, Trying to get away from the marginalization or the hate rhetoric that we have in our country, mm-hmm. I think we could we're, we're much better people than, than what it's coming across right now. So, in South Dakota, what is the difference between the parties, really? I, I think the difference is primarily uh, on the lower income side. Uh, the Democrats want to see. Uh, reasonable wages that I would call livable wages that uh, you can support yourself. Uh, so are, are you talking about a higher minimum wage? Higher minimum wage. Is minimum wage designed to be a livable wage? Uh, it's designed, well, it should be designed that way, and I think that's where the Democrat Party is saying it should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also understand the concept that uh, we have high school students and people that do not have a, a lot of uh, experience yet that need to come in at a lower range. Uh, somehow we can should be able to work that out. Should the government be in the job of, of mandating pay? <laughs> uh, that's very interesting. Um, you know, there's a school of logic for economics that is... Uh, uh, fr- free, free market system, mm-hmm. and the free market system is keep the government out of uh, the markets. Yeah. Uh, sometimes they, we get that mixed up with the uh, dynamic type of uh, economics or the static type of economics or what we mean, and I think it just depends on what people talk about. Uh, The government needs to be involved at a reasonable level. It, primarily, though, to to stop essentially slave labor, and is that really the goal of a minimum wage? Yeah, the goal of minimum wage is to to protect people protect from being people. abused. Well, just think about it. Uh, there are there are people out there that uh, have a difficult time making ends meet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we need to do what we can to uh, provide them a life of dignity, uh, which I think is a very important concept for us to understand as a public and as a uh, voters. That comes from not uh, myself. That comes from our current pope, who 
makes it clear that uh, we need to start focusing in this world on a life of dignity for people. A life of dignity would, you know, let's see if we can get them a, a, a livable wage mm-hmm. uh, so we can keep on uh, providing for our families. There's a lot of rhetoric about uh, welfare, that it's really bad. Uh, and I agree with that. Uh, we don't want people just living off the government. Can we do something better? I have a lot of questions. Well, I'm I'm curious because I had <coughs> a couple of the Republicans on last week, and we were talking about the concept of what a um, what a what a welfare, what a safety net's really designed for, and what it's what it's there for. And an analogy is you've got these trapeze artists in a circus, and they're doing their thing, and they there's a a nice little net down there, and it's designed to make them not die if they fall. But it's never designed for them to use as a hammock for comfort. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering, I'm curious to know your thoughts. Have we turned that safety net that's designed to keep you from dead? Have we made that a little bit too comfortable nationally? Um, if you consider my shoes, deal with the people I deal with. Yeah. No. Really? It's not adequate. When I say that, life and dignity means that most people would like to work. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, what can we do to encourage people to be working? How How do we match them with companies or businesses that can use their talents? Mm-hmm. And let, th- th- those talents can be very minimal. Uh, now, let's also look at some of the safety net we need for insurance. Uh, you know, I keep running across the folks in their 50s and early 60s that run into a situation where it can be cancer, it can be heart, it can be lots of different things that force them into a position where they can't work. Mm-hmm. Not only that, they might be self-employed and they might be stuck in an insurance plan where the rates keep going up. They cannot bail out to go to another pl- mm-hmm. insurance plan. Did that change for the better or worse when they, back in 10, when they revamped the healthcare system? The concept of the uh, ACA is that it would make it uh, available to anybody with, even if you have uh, previous conditions. Mm-hmm. And that's the important part. And uh, Does that make to, the cost kind of go out of control, though? Uh, is the cost out of control? Well, now I think it is <laughs> at okay. some level. Um, I think insurance has been out of control for my lifetime. Oh, ooh, here's a question. What is the definition of insurance? <laughs> I'm, I'm curious. Risk, uh, it's risk reduction. So should insurance cover um, maintenance? Um, risk reduction is, is a system that should be there to assist a person to reduce the risk in a marketplace. In other words, okay, if I'm Mm self-employed, I need to take a look at how do I reduce my risk for disability? How do I reduce my risk for health? 
how do I reduce my risk for employees I have? Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, We all understand the concept of self-insured. We can do it. But is that the proper way to reduce my risk? When I have a health condition as a self-employed person, I need the insurance. Okay. If I become disabled, I need a disability. Can I afford it? Lots of times, self-employed people are sitting there without being able to afford that type of thing. Mm -hmm. Once you lose your job, and I have several right now I'm dealing with, uh, where they're forced to quit working because of their health, Mm They could go on Social Security disability, and that's usually minimum compared to what they've been getting in a job. Yes, they can get their uh, uh, Medicare two years down the road, not right away. So what do they do in between time? They can go to COBRA. Cost of COBRA is about $1,300 a year. Uh, month mm-hmm. insurance or the uh, social security disability about $1,300 a month for these. That's conveniently similar. All right. What do you do? So the question I have though is whose responsibility is that? Uh, when we look at the life of dignity for folks, mm-hmm. the life of dignity is for all. But is is that the is it the government's job to to um, ensure comfort in our lives. There would be people that say, no, you need to get the government out completely. Well, what do you think? I'm telling you that my opinion is the government needs to be involved. There's no reason why, as good people in this country, uh, that we can't make, make it so that everybody can have a life of dignity. That doesn't mean that they sit on their butt and not do anything. For you, for me, for others, it's very important that I work. That's, the, that's what gives me a life of dignity. Uh, being able to contribute to society is very important. Does somebody that's on welfare want to stay there? There may be those that do, but I think generally, they feel much better if they get out there and work. Now, how do we do that? Uh, it, if you leave it to the free market system, that's not going to happen. If you leave it to the free market system, uh, drugs are going to be wide open. If you leave it to the free market system, they don't care what happens to you. You're going to drive a vehicle that has no protection. You're going to be on highways that have no uh, safety measures built in. That's the free market system. But that kind of presumes that that government's the only one that has a a level head, right? Unfortunately, right now, yes. Uh, And it's not saying that the the government has a level head. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand, the government is you, it's me. Well, that sounds neat on paper, but I'm not sure if that's actually true. But, you I know, mean, it, it may be you it, if you win the election. In, in, this, in this country, that's our democracy. 
that's well, what it means. We're a that's, representative what, republic, that, too. But. That's what democracy means, is that you have the right to vote, and I have a right to vote, mm-hmm. and together we try to do what's best for everybody. Um, can, here's, can charity be mandated? Does it still become, is it still charity? When you mandate it, it's, <laughs> it's not charity. It's not charity, right. No. Um, can you expect charity to pick up the, uh, the, the gap? Uh, could, could it, do you think, if the government pulled back? Or, or would there be too much collateral damage? Um, right now, we're so divisive in this country. <laughs> no, we're not. And, what are and, you talking and, about? And there's a, there's a lot of reasons for it. Uh, you know, in my faith, I feel very strong about my Christian faith. Mm-hmm. In my experiences in life, I still am asking Christ to forgive me for my sins. What are those experiences as serving in Vietnam in the infantry? Mm-hmm. Uh, they give me uh, something less than an individual to kill. We call them gooks. Yeah, I killed them. You suppose Christ? Job, right? You suppose Christ has forgiven me? That's not up to me to say. Yeah. Do you suppose Christ has forgiven you? I I hope so. We all hope so. But have we all thought about that? World War II, what did they go to sh- sh- kill? It wasn't the German people. It was Krauts. It wasn't the Italians. It was Wops. It wasn't the Japanese individuals. It was Japs. Same thing that I had when I Viet- went to Vietnam. It was a goop. The deal is that that's a label. Mm-hmm. So does labels that remove drive, humanity? Labels drive division. Mm-hmm. And once we put a label on somebody, it can be black, it can be liberal, it can be conservative, it can be whatever. And once we put that label as a negative label, they're less than a human being. We've put them out in the garbage heap of society. Take, let's take a look at abortion. Okay. That's the first thing on your... Handout. Yeah. You know, I'm pro-life. I'm opposed to abortion. Why? Because it's taken a life, just like I did in Vietnam. It's no different. It's a baby. You put a label on it as a fetus, it can be aborted. That's not correct. But that person has to make a choice. You don't know what that person is experiencing. I don't know what that person is experiencing. If they make that choice to have an abortion, I want that to be in a medical facility where it's controlled, okay? I would encourage that child mm -hmm. or that person not to have the abortion. That's because of my faith and my belief. Only? And it's because of my experiences, killing is not pleasant. It's part of the language, it is the shits. 
When you look at somebody that you've taken a life of, it's not pleasant. But don't don't the pro-abortion side don't they remove the the humanity from that lump of cells, and and, and so it's not the same in their mind. They they look at it as pro-choice. Well, but, but they're not looking at it as an at, at it as an autonomous being. They're looking at it as a oh, you you can't as it's a clump of cells that are that are invasive. As not being an autonomous being. I mean, at some point, it's a being. Now, biblically, my faith. There's nothing that tells me exactly when death occurs. I know it occurs when I shoot somebody. They're done. There's nothing that says when life begins, mm-hmm. except that when God created man, he breathed life, breathed life into him. So do you look at that as the, when life starts? You know, you can argue that back and forth. But let's get back to the point. It's choice. You make bad choices. I've made bad choices. But if my bad choices directly affect without cause another human, that's when the law is supposed oh, to step in, correct? you better believe your choices affect another human. No, I, I when, mean, When you go fatally, through a stop sign and you crash though. somebody, Absolutely. that's totally. a bad choice. Yeah, and the law will when, step in. When you speed down the highway, mm-hmm. that's a bad choice. Sure, and the law steps in. Yeah. So, so, so why do well, we have so the government? Question, so why do we have government? Well, theoretically, do it to keep some sort of order. And, and when we do that, when we bring in the law enforcement to bring order then we are giving up some freedoms. And th- okay. that's, that's true. But let's go back to that choice. It could be a bad choice. It's a bad choice that they have an abortion. Absolutely a bad choice. What do we do? But the, do we, put about out, the... we put them out on a garbage heap of society and say, okay, you had an abortion uh, and you're, not, you're no good? What do we do with the veterans when they come out and you've been killing people? You put them out on a garbage heap of society and say, okay, that's where you belong? Well, some we would say them, so, We let yeah. them commit suicide and say, okay, that's where you belong? You, you make choices that are bad. Mm-hmm. Can't we look at what the Pope says? Well, Can I, we I provide a life but, of dignity for them? When you make a bad choice... Can't we come along and figure out a way that we can change that? Can't we find, can't we be there with them, providing the proper choice? Well, I, I think the real question is whose responsibility is it? Because I would contend that the church has an absolute job to do in that. But what I'm curious is, is that the job of the government to take that responsibility away from charitable organizations from the church from local civic organizations is, is, is that be, the job let's be of very government? clear about that the church has a duty if you have the faith like I do okay to mm-hmm. discourage any kind of abortion or to discourage anything that we consider to be sin not everybody in this country has the same faith that I have or you but we've all as a society we've agreed that Taking the life of another innocent human is wrong and punishable by pretty hefty crime or pretty hefty sentence, correct? Like, as a society, we've decided that murder's wrong. Is that right? 
That is correct. So my question is, how do we get some sort of consistency from both sides of the abortion argument? Because one says it's not a person, and the other says it's absolutely a person. So how in the world do you bring those together? It's back to the same thing I'm talking about. You sent me to Vietnam. You told me to kill. Have you asked for forgiveness for that? Well, I wasn't that, That's then, wrong. But... That's wrong. You don't kill. But we say, okay, our government can interfere and you can kill. How, how can you put the two together, though, when... Whether 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 right or wrong, hold on. Whether whether right or wrong, you go over to Vietnam and you have a gun, and you shoot at someone who had a gun. I think right, and they they were trying to get you out of there as well. Is this true, or were they all unarmed innocents? Let me tell you my experience. First time, I'm on ambush duty. I got to see the VC out there about a quarter mile away, wearing pajamas. Walking a dike, walk in my direction. It's my first time as a platoon sergeant. I've been to country maybe about two weeks. I call my platoon leader and I say, I got movement. He says, Good. I said, What's good about it? Well, check and see. Are they enemy? Well, they don't have a light that they're carrying. Okay, they got to be enemy. No, I said, you tell me, you tell me why. Well, check, Dennis. Uh, do they have uniforms? No, they got plain pajamas, just like the rest of the people. As I watched them, what it looked like to me through the starlight scope, young people walking across the the campuses of our colleges at night where the lights are low. That's what it looked like. Young people bouncing along, having a good time. Finally, my platoon leader says, okay, Dennis, uh, I want you to tell me do they have any weapons. I said, well, where do they have the weapons? I don't see one. Well, look real close. So I studied them real close, and sure enough, there's a weapon hanging from their side. Platoon leader says, good. Are they going to walk into your kill zone? My stomach erupted because that's where they were going. Platoon leader wanted to know where they were, and I said, they're out in front of me. He gave me a chewing out and said, you get your... uh, Bearings, I want you to be a platoon sergeant. Are they coming in a kill zone? Yes. Okay, take them out. How old were you? 21, 22. That's horrible. It is. It's a bad choice. I should have made a choice to let them walk. Well, but that wasn't, that wasn't how you were trained, correct? Again, it's whether right or wrong. I have the it, choice. That, I have the choice. Of being court-martialed. So, so it, it, is that your thought, that maybe yep. that should have been? I, I had the choice. Yeah. I could let it go. Is that right or wrong? 
you know, I court-martialed the young folks because they refused to go to the field. Yes, court-martial. But that was a force. They had a choice. Mm-hmm. Back to abortion. You have choices. Mm-hmm. And you're going to make choices in your life that are bad. We got a lot of people out there making choices about drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and tobacco of different sorts. Because a free society says, use it. Free market system. Use it. We don't care about what the impact is on you. Use it. So when you ask about, okay, does the government need to be involved? I'm not going to say yes or no. But just think about that. I, I think it's definitely worth thinking about. And I question every day what our troops are doing around the world. Absolutely. Because, I mean, well, what's the goal? And really, I mean, if it's your job, you're trained to do this. I've got family that's in the military. And it's, I, okay. I don't know what I think about that. Let me take you to another situation in Vietnam. I'm one month in country. I'm the expert, apparently. So I take my, not the platoon, I'm a platoon sergeant, but I take one of my squads, and one of my, uh, my platoon leader takes the other squad on a special mission. Well, my special mission was to take the Arvins out to show them how we operate in the Medigap coverage, where we talk to the people, we give them medicine, find out what's going on. So, uh, I go out with the Arvins and I bring two Arvin advisors along. Now, I'm the expert and I've got the advisors. <laughs> get out there, I show, show them how to set up, do the medication. And while I've been doing that, I've got my men out walking around, checking out to see if there's any a VC, any weapons stored, uh, any NVA around, just checking houses. So after showed them how to do that, uh, they sent some of their uh, Arvin troops out to do the same. I'm sitting there, busy, and this lady comes up to me, and but she's looking all the way around, make sure that there's nobody around to listen to her. And then she whispers to me, a buku, VC. Buku means many, many. So I'm in an AO, that's an area of operation, uh, about the size of Milbank. And I hear some shooting. Pretty soon here comes an Arvin. They killed some VC. The Arvin advisors come to me and say, would you go verify that they killed VC? Well, I'll send one of my men. So I sent one of my squad leaders out there with a couple of other men. Sure, three VC, Vietnamese people, dead. Come back, it tells me, yeah, there's three Vietnamese people dead. I said, okay, tell me, uh, do they have pajamas or 
uniforms. No, they had pajamas. I said, well, then they're VC. He said, yeah, uh, but there was no weapons. I said, well, okay. Did they have IDs on them? No, Sergeant, no ID. Well, then they're VC. Sarge, that ID could be removed pretty easy. Yeah, but we got we to gotta say they're VC. So I go to the Arvid, they say, okay, VC. My, was supposed to be picked up that evening and taken back to the base. My trucks that were coming out to pick me up got ambushed because they couldn't make it. So I'm sitting there with the Arvin advisors. Says, okay, we're going to be out for the night. What do you guys do? Never been out in the field at night. I said, well, let me show you what I do. We're going to do ambush. But I did my walkabout, found a place to ambush, set up my platoon with the Arvin advisors protecting my backside. As we, I walked point, as I'm walking point to go back in for that ambush setup, my radio operator gets a note that you've got to switch frequency. So switch, switch frequency, okay. But don't do it now because I'm not stopping. We've got to get in there into our ambush site. The time difference is very minimal. You have to move when it gets dark, when people can't see you moving. <coughs> you've got to be in there on your ambush site before the NVA or VC are moving. You don't have time to sit around and bullshit or anything. You got to move. I told my radio operator, keep that number. We're going. So I get into the ambush site, and he says, uh, Sarge, the frequency they gave me is a dead frequency here. Normally, that could happen, but we could go back to the original frequency and get another frequency. Time had elapsed. The frequency, going back to the original frequency, they had that shut down. Mm-hmm. So I'm without a radio. By watching through my starlight scope and coming out of the uh, Nepa Palm along the river, right close to where I was, is an NVA stepping up. Now I know this is an NVA because he's got the military uniform on. He's got the rifle on his shoulder just like an American soldier. He starts walking right to me. I pass the word to my men. I said, don't anybody pass gas or whisper or anything. So they did. They kept quiet. 50 NVA walked right past us within about 20 yards. Went to a series of houses off to our right. About 2.30 in the morning. Well, I should say I went back to the Arvins. They had contact with our base camp uh, through their camp and were able to get us a frequency. So I got on and explained to my rear echelon what had happened. Of course, their response is good. We'll take them out when they come back, going back to their day hole. Keep in mind, I'm thinking, okay, yeah, these folks aren't even going to know what's going to happen. 
But about 2.30 in the morning, there's a shot to my right. I go back to the Arvins. The Arvins are gone. The Arvin advisors are sleeping. I wake him up, and about that point, here comes the Arvin. says, so we got one of our men killed. we got to get him out of here. So get the hel- helicopter in to remove him. And then I'm upset because the Arvids didn't do what I told them to do, stay put. So I start asking questions. And the Arvind advisor said, well, Sarge, don't you know what's going on? I said, what's going on? The Vietnamization. I said, what do you mean, Vietnamization? Well, we're trying to encourage the Arvinds to take over the, the battles themselves, to do it themselves. Okay, sounds good. But why would that be important? Well, today, when they got those three VC, they got paid $1,000 for each one of them. Oh, so they're mercenaries. Tonight, they know there's a bunch of NVA over there. They were going to get a bunch of dollars. Hmm. The next two months, we're back in, and we wound up killing all those. NVA. Come back in the last time, and one of my men, or some of my men on that walkabout during the day, come across the VC commander for the area and his uh, treasurer, the tax collector for the VC. They killed the commander. Tax collector we captured, set him back. My platoon leader, or my uh, battalion commander, the lieutenant colonel, comes out patting everybody on the back. We did the best job of any group that they had. Very proud of Bravo Company and 3rd Platoon. Uh, those 50 NVA were designed, were trained to assault our base camp. I saved that. They didn't get to assault our base camp. So, the, the, the lieutenant colonel leaves, our battalion commander, and we're all kind of, oh yeah, we must have did a good job. I'm having to deal with my men because we killed somebody. So, we did a walkabout for an ambush that night. So, I'm walking around, come into this one house, and there's maybe a dozen women at the house. On the table is a body to get ready for a burial. And women turned to me, assaulted me with bad GI, buku bad, buku bad. Got my Arvin advisor, or not, not Arvin advisor, but my interpreter along. I said, what are they talking about? And when, when those women were doing that type of thing, I hear in the background, my men, safeties went off. My uh, interpreter says, Dennis, that's the VC commander we killed today. These are VC. The ladies. My men, as far as my men are concerned, they're VC. Mm. At that point, I had to make a choice. It could have been a 
very bad choice that I'd have to live with. I could have told my men, wipe them out. Mm -hmm. I made the choice to say, safety's back on. Let's get out of here. And I went back to a platoon leader and said, okay, we're just going to hunker down for the night. Got to get my men calmed down. Um, was that the right choice? You know, we talk about non-combatants. When you're in a military situation like that, some people want to call that collateral damage. Mm -hmm. It's killing. Plain old killing. Get back to that abortion issue. Yeah, that's killing. But it's a choice. Now, should I be out on a garbage heap of society because I made that choice? Either way, killing or the choice I did not kill? Take a look at that young lady that's making that choice. She has the baby. Let's say her life is messed up. Let's say she's poor. What kind of choice does that child have? You know, I don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And I'm not for sure any of us Christian folks have all the answers. But let me tell you, I'm very upset with the hate rhetoric coming out of our Christian church. Yes, I understand I speak from my perspective. Mm -hmm. But let me tell you something. I didn't serve my country for my church. I didn't serve my country for you. I didn't serve my country for the flag. I had to struggle with that concept. When I was getting drafted in 68, my mom had just got killed. I'm having a very difficult time. So I'd visit with my uncle that was in Normandy invasion, paratrooper, Battle of the Bulge, hardened veteran. I said, what do you think if I head to Canada? He said, that's your choice, Dedham. And he said, if you make that choice, I'm going to stand with you. But it's your choice. You've got to make the decision. So I make the decision. But along the way, he says, just one thing, Dylan, just one thing. Uh, do you suppose the Constitution of this country and our freedoms are worth fighting for? And that it's worth it to serve our country? And it's like, yes, it is. The Constitution for the freedom of speech, just like what I'm doing right now, the freedoms are guaranteed for religion, irrespective of what religion it might be. That's what our Constitution stands for. It meant that the man I had that walked point for me in Vietnam that was a Satan worshiper had the protections I had as a Christian. And lots of times in the Christian faith we're saying, okay, this is the way it's got to be because this is the way we believe. <coughs> That's not our country. Our country says 
We want the freedoms guaranteed to all. Why don't you be able to make choices? Well, but you also life is a big a big part of it, right? Guaranteeing life. So d- does just I I want to say I cannot imagine the turmoil that you have gone through. I I, I can't, and I I I appreciate the story. It's it's mind blowing to me that at twenty one you were charged with that kind of responsibility. That just blows my mind. So thank you for telling us that because that's huge. Um, What I'm wondering, though, in that, whether the killing by the military is right or wrong morally, does that justify allowing abortion to be legal? You're missing a point. In life, you got to make choices. You know, are we going to say to the person that has the abortion, okay, now we're going to put you in a penitentiary? That's our answer? I don't know. Should our answer be, yeah, if you made that choice, we're going to provide you with medical care so that you don't die? Uh, And then we want, should we be there saying, okay, you can be a better person than that? Mm Mm-hmm. Let's get your life corrected. But don't you need a moral standard to, to be able to have to say that, though? And, you know, and, and should government be emotional? Who's, who's moral standard? Well, th- that's the question. Because if you listen to a, an a atheist, their perspective and their moral standard will come from a different position. Their moral standard may come from uh, something similar like... Uh, free market system. And and listen, that is true for our faith life. It is a free market system. You have to make a choice. I I can't force you. I can share with you my experience of being a Christian and how I became a Christian and encourage you to make that proper choice. And if you don't, I think you've committed a sin that Maybe it sends you in the wrong direction. And morally, it's not right either. But you have that choice, and you got to make that choice. Just like that person that's out there uh, making a choice, I'm going to have drugs. I'm going to kill the fetus. Go to continue drinking alcohol. That fetus is going to have, they're going to affect that child so it has a struggle the rest of its life. To force them to have the child? What have we done? Can you, like, thinking about the idea that if the baby is born and then has a crappy life, that that then means the baby shouldn't live. That That's interesting to me because I'm curious how that gets, how do you, how do you go there and not extend that into adulthood? I mean, I, I know a fair amount of, of elderly people that have a crappy life. Finances, family don't isn't around, their health is bad. C- could we still apply that same standard where if the baby's going to be born and have a crappy life, so it, it, it's justified then to abort it? Can we do that at the older, at the other side of life too? 
their life, their quality of life is miserable. So let's just abort them then. Okay. Can you have it both ways? It kind of depends on your theology to a certain extent. You know, you have to, you have to struggle with that concept. Uh, I'm honestly, I'm honestly more thinking from, from the, from the legislation side of things. Like, because you have to be able to have a standard. You got to have a line somewhere. And so what is that line? If we're going to say that the quality of life of the baby is going to be bad, so this justifies that baby no longer having value in that life dying, then can't we, don't we have to take that to the other extreme as well? Uh, I don't have all the answers. Well, that's why you're here. You're, you want votes. You know, <laughs> and that's curious. one of the things about... <laughs> and I appreciate you sitting down because this is a, it's a deep conversation. The, and it's hard. When we look at being on the policy side, it's looking at the facts. Mm-hmm. What are the facts out there? Um, and what, what can we do on the policy side to encourage proper results? I'm not for sure that a lot of the Republican folks who say I'm tough on crime is the right thing. I'm not for sure a lot of Republican folks that say I'm anti-abortion is the right thing. Do they really know what they're talking about? I'm not for sure that the Republican folks out there say that uh, gays don't deserve any kind of right. I'm not for sure that LBG don't deserve anything. I'm not for sure that the moral standards of somebody is higher than my moral standards, and therefore my moral standards are no good. Should a group of people be um, protected more than another? Well, uh, I mean, we, we say that at, at age because children get different protections than adults yeah, that's, do. The question I was going to ask is, in what terms do you mean that? Well, I, I, I mean in the adult world. Is there a, a category? And this is get back, gets back to labels. When you label people, you kind of remove things from them. You remove a constant, which is we all are human. Mm-hmm. Um, should, should we do that? Is this identity politics? And is that part of the problem in our society that we've begun to compartmentalize these different groups of people and oh oh you're part of this group okay you belong here yep. and you're part of this group you belong here and don't you ever cross over or now yeah, this group man they're, they're getting people don't like that group so we're going to give them extra protection should we do that as a society call that marginalization sure you know should we absolutely not do i have the answers does it come from policy side not necessarily um we're better people well, maybe. You know, <laughs> let me kind of tell you a story about why I'm running for... I would love to know, <laughs> because you don't sound like the typical politician, so this it's, is It's a long story, Uh-oh. but uh, last fall, oh, about August uh, 2017, I got the opportunity to take my granddaughter up to Fargo to meet her mom who lived in Grand Forks. And along the way, Olivia, seven years old, says, 
Papa, what do you think about ISIS? You know, and I, ex- I think I explained it right, just as quick as you can, that, you know, Olivia, ISIS has really presented a problem to the rest of the world, and you've got to understand where they come from. Those folks that are really bad in the ISIS group belong to a religion, whereas they think that anybody that doesn't belong to their religion needs to be killed. Does that present a problem for the rest of the world? Because how do you address that? Yeah, Papa, that's a bad one. Seven years old. Papa, what do you think about North Korea? At this point, I'm really starting to question (laughs) if I know enough. And I said, Olivia, you got to understand that that's a fellow that's in charge there of that country. He's a dictator. And he's trying to create a big, big weapon so he can threaten the rest of the world. And he doesn't even take care of his own people. I said, but he wants to threaten everybody. Yeah, Papa. Yeah, that's a problem, Papa. A little bit later, Papa, what do you think about China? Okay. Now, how do you summarize that? Quickly, my only response was, Olivia, you got to think about it. China is a different type of economy that we are. It's a different type of government than we are. Uh, Their government controls all the businesses, but they go out buying businesses in a free market system to control them. Uh, They present a real challenge to the free market system, to the rest of the world. Yeah, Papa, it's tough. A little bit later, she says, Papa, we need to do some planning. And I, I turned to her and I said, she's in the back seat. Olivia, would you participate in the planning? Oh, Papa, I'd participate. She didn't even hesitate. She's willing to plan. We drive along and she says, Papa, do you know do you think there's any good people in Korea, North Korea? Oh, I'm sure there are. Uh, Olivia, I was in Vietnam and there are a lot of good people I met in Vietnam. There were Vietnamese people. They're good people. Uh, even the enemy, I said, uh, yeah, they're good people. They're just on the opposite side. Okay, good, because I know somebody from North Korea, and he is really nice. Then she says, do you think there's any good people in China? I said, of course, there's good people in China. Good, because I know a girl from China, and she's really nice. (laughs) Papa, do you know anybody from Nepal? No. Uh, But do you think there's good people in Nepal? Well, sure there is. I said, you know, a couple of years ago, they had that earthquake that was a major one and demolished a town. They've been working to recover on their own, take care of it. As I'm sure there's good people. Good, because I know somebody from Nepal. She's really nice. That got me thinking. You know, 
So finally, I said to Olivia as we're driving along, I said, "What do, you, what do you uh, want to be when you grow up?" Well, she says, "I'd like to be a teacher because I got good teachers." Uh, I go a little bit further, and I said, "No, Olivia, you need to be a policymaker." And it took maybe about fifteen miles, and finally, she says, "Papa, what is a policymaker?" <laughs> So I'd, I explained to her, policymaker is one that does that planning for the problems that we face, just like we were talking about. We got problems in this world, and we need to have policymakers, good policymakers, to try and make good, dis- look at the facts and make good laws for the factual situations we have. She says, Papa, I'll be a policymaker. I don't know if she ever will or not, but it made me stop and think, okay, Dennis, you've been practicing law and you've been watching the results from the laws that are not correct, and you haven't done anything. So the next thing I did is get back to the office and talk about it. My wife is not supportive of making a decision. (laughs) <laughs> and I finally sit down with my son. And I say, listen, we got to make a decision. I'd kind of like to run for a Senate. Well, uh, Dad, uh, you cover for me because I'm in the National Guard. So if I get activated, you cover. When I go to the training, you cover for me. I'm not standing in your way to serve if you want to serve South Dakota. It's my chance to step in and serve. So I just said, yeah, I'm going to run. And and just to be really clear, I don't have all the answers to everything. Uh, My position is maybe completely different than a lot of people because of experiences I've had in life. Uh, But I'd like to think that those experiences give me the opportunity to look at all the facts and possibly develop some policy that's appropriate for the factual situation. Um, Is it proper to be putting all the folks in the penitentiary that have some drug problems? You know, I was a prosecutor back in the day. I was tough. I put a lot of people in penitentiary. And I'm not for sure it was correct, okay? Um, Several years ago, I got a chance to visit with uh, David Gilbertson, the Chief Justice for the Supreme Court. That was before they had any kind of drug court or vet court or anything similar, and I just... (laughs) Judge, when are we going to wake up? When are we going to find some other alternative? When are we going to try and give these people a life of dignity? Can't we find some other ways to deal with this? I don't have the answers, but can't we explore those ideas? What do you say? Yes. Matter of fact, he says, right now, I'm thinking about possibly getting a drug court set up. And he said, uh, we've... They're working on a system where they force them to go through uh, treatment. And uh, 
what they had found and visited with the folks that were in the penitentiary for drug charges, they did not want to go to treatment. They wanted to serve their time, get back out, and go do back to drugs. So, you know, the question was appropriate. <clears throat> now, we got to just yeah. do a lot of exploring for a lot of different things. Does this get back to kind of trying to define what the proper role of government is? Is that, is, is that kind of what needs to be addressed? And, or, I mean, is that even a realistic question to ask? You know, I, I think it takes a uh, combination. It's just not all government. Too often we look at the government and to give us the answer. Mm-hmm. It may be no abortion. That's an answer. Mm-hmm. Did we just mess up people? It may be put them in a penitentiary. You know, that's what we can demand of the government mm-hmm. is to do things for what we think is right. Is it right? Uh, we've got to explore that. Uh, I don't think the government has all the answers. I think a lot of it comes back to you and me. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you willing uh, to step out and be a mentor to somebody that has a welfare issue? Somebody has a drug problem. Somebody that's not capable of doing normal work out there. Are you willing to step out and help them to have a life of dignity and get them involved where they can have a life of dignity? Do you think that it's possible that more people would step up for that if there was, if if there weren't, if there wasn't as much emphasis on a government-run program. That's a that's a very good question. The observation is, um, I, I it shouldn't make any difference. It really shouldn't. Well, what it, about incentives from the government for organizations to step up and start doing this, or are they already there? Well, that's a good good point. You know. Factually, are there incentives that we can look at to encourage people to be better people in the world? Can that work with business? I have a couple of folks that I work with, trying to mentor, trying to get them jobs, trying to uh, keep them busy doing things. Uh, I wouldn't employ either of them. <laughs> okay. Uh, I serve on a human service agency board in Watertown. Um, you want to see real issues? There's a lot of people yeah. there that you can't employ. But on the other hand, there's some people with a little bit of supervision, somebody standing there, they'll have a life of dignity and they're working. Uh, yes, it's maybe with a little bit of assistance from the government quite a bit of assistance. Is that cheaper than letting them get into trouble and put them in the penitentiary? You know, I don't have the answers to all that. You know, just... But are there people willing to step out and do that? You know, I know in, in some of the 
uh, churches and some of the faiths, they have programs where they have preschool, where they have uh, places for people to go to when they get into drug problems and whatnot. And I applaud that. that that's important. Uh, but are we willing individually to live that example and let's not talk about, let's put them over here? Mm-hmm. Are we individually willing to step in and help people? I think that's a great question. Yeah. And I think that's what's important. Mm-hmm. Um, in the business world, are the businesses, and I, I shouldn't say business, are the wealthy folks, are those people that have the ability, willing to step up and do the same thing? Are they willing to say, okay, yeah, we need to get some uh, safety in the workplace. We need to pay attention to that. Uh, we need to make sure that you have a living. We need to make sure that your kids can go to college. We make sure that uh, you go to tech school. We make sure that you have a good education. Are they? Should college be a uh, um, a right? Free college. I really haven't thought about that. Uh, you know, I paid my way through college. My kids paid their way through college. Uh, Do when we don't have young adults begin to pay their own way. Do we perpetuate the problem? No, I don't think that's true. Uh, I know a lot of folks from my community that have went through college that come from the really might say the wrong side of the tracks. Mm-hmm very poor. Uh, and most of the time you look at them and say, Geez, they don't have a chance. But they had parents. And those parents were there. Mm-hmm. They took care of them. They went to college on uh, grants. And they got assistance. Now they're some of the best people we have mm-hmm. in this country. You know, but but to get a grant and assistance, you have to kind of prove, and you have to do some work to get that. Correct? It's not just a given. You no, know, some of these were because they just didn't have any money at okay. all. Okay, so if you didn't, if you felt we're in that category, you got this. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Because I I think if you have to work to to for the ask of, hey, you know, here's what I want to do with this. Here's why I would love to get this assistance. I mean, that requires some. Humility it requires some work. It requires some okay. to, you to get out there and do it, I, I r- r- rather than just assume yeah. that it's yours. I definitely agree with that. <laughs> but let's look at the other side. I had to work, mm-hmm. but there's a lot of folks out there that happen to go be on the right side of the tracks. They don't have to ask for any kind of assistance. But yet they're telling everybody else, you got to work for it. They don't have to work for it. Isn't that A just lot of them we call trust babies. Freedom? Well, sure. But, I mean, I don't know. I 
I, I think it would be nice to create enough wealth in my life for my children to be able to have security. And and so, but I don't know. That's a, is, that's a goal of everybody. I, I think so. But if we if we continue down this road of, <clears throat> well, that's not fair for the, the poor, and it's not fair, then are, are we disincentivizing that idea that let's, well, Ab- let's absolute, continue? Absolutely not. Go back to my concept, life and dignity. Are you willing to step out? Are there wealthy people out there willing to say to somebody on the poor side of tracks, yes, let's help you get through uh, college? Why aren't they? Because government will do it. No. No. Why aren't they? Because they don't want to share so, so they're just greedy, rich people. You know, <laughs> I think uh, we look at society. There's some power struggles out there. You and I have no understanding about what's oh, happening. Totally, it's about power. Should Bezos be as rich as he is? What's that? Should Jeff Bezos be the billionaire that he is? Yes. Should it be should it be no problem that he has that much money? Yes. It should be a problem or it should be okay. It's okay. Okay. Should he be required to give some of it away? He has the ability to support more of the infrastructure, more of the military that protects his business throughout the world mm-hmm. than you and I. Mm-hmm. Is he paying his fair share? What, what does that mean, though? What is his fair share? Yeah. That's kind of a sliding scale. Isn't well, it? just look at it. Are you affected? Yeah, I do, buy do from you Amazon. Need a, do, you, do you need a military in the world to protect your business in the world? Maybe. At what Perhaps. Level? I don't know. Are you overseas with your business? No. Okay. Is Jeff overseas with Oh, business? he's global. Absolutely. Yeah. So what does he need? He needs a strong military to protect his business throughout mm-hmm. the world. But but the, my my point so is, is he that there's his a thought, fair though. share. Well, I don't know. But the, the, okay, let's look at <laughs> my point. Do, though do is there are a lot of people that think because airplane? he's do you a billionaire. fly an airplane every day? I wish I did, but no. <laughs> do you, what, what, once a year? Um, a couple times a year. Plus, well, that's more than me. I'll be on one next week, but but uh, you know when you do fly, you have to go through. All the security, what is that security for? Well, it's for I'm, those I don't folks really that know, can, honestly. <laughs> those are folks that can afford the system to fly. Okay. How do we make our schools safe? Those are people that don't have the ability to fly. Let's talk about that for a minute. How do you make schools safe? What is the answer? Is it a metal detector? Well, uh, the point is, who should be paying the fair share? You know, we spend millions and billions to protect those folks who fly the world for their business. Part of the language. We don't care, give a shit about the young people in the school. Okay. What's the answer? Well, you tell me. I don't you, have Do you want to be elected? I, <laughs> You're running for office. I, I'm telling you, I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> yeah. 
And I, I've got a lot of things I got to mm-hmm. ask questions about to develop the facts. I don't think people think about that a lot of time. Oh, I, I think you're right. Yeah. I, I don't think that's you know, even a what, thought. It's just so, assumed. You run through the cattle line, you get on the plane, yeah. you just move on. So when we say, you know, cut the taxes for the wealthy folks, it's going to be a trickle down. Trickle down doesn't work. Well, but, well, but jacking the, the rate up differently for them, d- does that work too? Because I think they can well, afford uh, to it, give it, more. Does that is, mean they can afford to give more and they should have to? Yeah, the point is. Because I'll tell paying, you what. If are they, they paying their fair if share? If they wanted to hand me some of that, that'd be great. I'm, I'm in. However, I don't think they should have to. They shouldn't have mandated charity. Why don't they give you more? Well, I've never asked them for one, so maybe that's part of it. <laughs> would, it would, would it be because it's power? Oh, that's very likely. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So... You know, when, I think that's why we don't have, have term limits in Congress, When they have the ability too. and they've got the tax reduction, do they pass that on? Not necessarily. You know, we got to wait and see. But, you know, so far, that, that's not the case. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and the point I'm making is, mm-hmm. who should be fair in the foyer share? Well, is I it see, you, the but, middle class? Well, but that's, that's such a broad term. I don't know what that means. It's vague, fair share. Who, who gets to determine what fair is? Well, I think you and I. Really? Yeah. Well, awesome. Then all I these think you need billionaires vote. vote. <laughs> I think you need to vote for me, so make sure I get my fair share. <laughs> nice. So wait a second. If I vote for you, am I going to get something out of it? Is no. that what you're telling me? No. That was a joke. But, but, hey, if you vote for me, this is important, something like this. It, it's a freedom of speech. Mm-hmm. And yes, you're going to have my support. I'll protect that freedom of speech. I did it for my country, mm-hmm. and I'll do it as a politician. So there's a lot. There, there's a thought out there, a school of thought that the First Amendment is only as strong as the Second. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> if you look at the Second Amendment very closely, you can read that a number of different ways. Okay, I'm very strong on the Second Amendment as well as any part of the Constitution. What, what does that mean? That's a nice talking point. But what does being very strong on it mean? That means I'm for it. Okay. Okay. Does it mean I'm for the NRA? Does it mean that because I'm for the First Amendment that I support the Nazi folks that want to talk about things? You don't? I mean, it, 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 that's a for real question. I mean, it should that kind of speech be banned? I don't think so. Okay. Because that's what the Constitution provides. Mm-hmm. Does it mean that I have the right to restrict religion? Our Constitution says no. Yes, the Constitution is very important. But does that allow individuals in this world, through their religion, through the NRA, through the different nonprofits to Did be able you to lump mandate religion and NRA together on purpose. Yes. <laughs> yes. You want to know why? Sure. There's a hate rhetoric. Hate. Yes. Oh, do tell. Expound on that. NRA. Been very hateful to anybody that suggests anything about. We got to study the factual situation about why the killings in these schools. Why this? Why that? Mm-hmm. And they keep saying, the best thing you could do, mm-hmm. have a weapon on your hand. 
What are they saying about that? Kill. Put the weapon in your hand. You're going to kill. If that's what you got it for, there's for your defense. Mm-hmm. That means they're saying kill. Mm-hmm. I'm opposed to killing. So then why do cops have guns? To protect themselves. To kill? Yes. So so how is that different than a private citizen, though, having a weapon to protect themselves? How is that different? You can protect yourself. But why does the NRA say you must have a weapon to kill? But why does every police force so, issue a weapon to the to the officers? Uh, they do it because they want them to be able to protect society. Now, by killing, okay. right? Let's look at it this way. Otherwise, what's the point let, of a deadly let's weapon? Let's look at like this that? way. They should all be have like, tasers. Be like me out there in the field. I'm looking at the VC. Well, military has this very specific mission, and that is to kill and protect. <laughs> Right. Yes. Well, what's the law enforcement? Oh, well, that's it. Now they, here we go. Law enforcement and police, I think, are different things. Police. They're, they're, law enforcement they're will the make same a now, but I, I think that by definition they should be different things. Law enforcement is exactly what it is. You enforce the law. Okay. And 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 to the point where if I if a law enforcement officer has a deadly weapon and the law doesn't get followed, their the, the end recourse is they shoot you. Right, they got to make a choice, right? Well, exactly. But I mean, the point is, they have you that ability. But they have that ability, yeah, and they're they, given the option of choosing to kill by giving the what being given the weapon, correct? Yeah, just like the uh, the NRA get the weapon. But wouldn't you want the ability to protect yourself and your family at all cost? Yes, I would. Okay, but. And I have maybe more weapons than you are <laughs> most of the people in Dual County or in this district for. I've done enough killing. I will not use it to kill. So why do you have them? For hunting, for target practice. All of them? Yep. Okay. D- now, do, do we Do we create targets by posting signs that demand being disarmed on property? Are we creating an area, an environment that is just ripe for someone who who has nefarious thoughts? They know they can't get stopped there. Yes or no. Uh, You can have that both ways? Sure. Uh, do you have a weapon here? Maybe. No, I don't. Not at the moment, no. Okay. It's your choice, right? Mm-hmm. Do I want weapons in the school system? Do you want someone being able to come in unfettered and doing something? Do I want weapons all over the place and when the law enforcement come in, they have no idea who to shoot? I don't know. Do you have, if I had a weapon, you had a weapon, and we had somebody bad walk in, and you pull a gun and I pull a gun, and the law enforcement comes in, who do they shoot? Everybody's got a weapon. So let's disarm society then. Is that is that is that the answer? No, no, no. Well, 
It almost has to be, doesn't it? No. I'm, I'm saying, why is the focus on killing? I think the focus is on being able to protect at all cost, right? Now, we can say... That means to kill. Okay? Well, then, then why, so does the, why, why does the why, police why the officer have a weapon? Problem. You don't want to kill that fetus, right? That person that might be attacking you has the right to live, too. If you kill him, it's like an abortion. You killed him. There's no difference. Well, oh, there's a huge difference in no, that. In that, a perpetrator is doing something against you. That a, young person's a, a baby making a, in not, the baby young, is that not. That young person's making a choice. You don't know. The baby is making a choice. No, the young person that's having a choice. Normally, it's a young person. Okay. okay. But the baby. They're making the, a choice. But the baby's not doing that, anything. They, they to perceive them. that baby as being a, a threat to them. Is it that, or is it a threat to? It's a threat a, to them. Uh, an ease of life. Okay, but it's the or same a, it's thing. It's the consequence of a bad when, decision. When you have a bad choice, possibly. Somebody approaching you to threaten you, and you're going to shoot them? Same thing. You're feeling the threat, right? It's different if someone is standing beside me, and I, and I feel threatened. I don't have a right to shoot them. If they are actively trying to kill me or harm me, th- then I have a right, correct? How, you, you, you're how, a lawyer. <laughs> how do you determine that? Well, if you feel threatened. Okay, how do you get threatened? Well, then you have to talk to a judge and prove that <laughs> yeah, you felt okay. threatened, right? I got if you. If someone pulls a gun at me. Well, it's the same thing. It's a to- not, not remotely no, the it, same it, because the, the baby cannot. When you feel threatened, you make the choice. Okay. And my choice is don't kill. I will Ever. take the bullet. So you, you will die. Your family will die first. I will take the bullet. And if my family has to die, they're going to die with me. I will not kill. What if someone is threatening your family? I've done enough killing. I don't need I, to well, do and, and I think you have a very unique position. Yes. And what are the experiences I had? When you talk about law enforcement, I'm working with a DCI agent by the name of Delbert Peterson when I was a state's attorney. We're going to, into a situation where we're going to interview a fellow that's well known to have a weapon. And I'm a little scared. I'm young. <laughs> and Delbert's getting out of the car. He doesn't have a weapon on. I says, Delbert, where's your weapon to protect me? It's under the seat. <laughs> I, well, why don't you put it on? Well, they mandate that I got to have it because I'm, a, because I'm a DCI agent, but I just put it under the seat. I just ignore it. I mean, we're going into this situation, and you're not going to have a weapon? Yes. My experience is, is if I have the weapon, the decisions are really bad. Sometimes that means that that person is going to shoot me because I have the weapon. Mm-hmm. If I don't have the weapon, he's got to stop, think twice about what he's going to do. I got, you know, I, I feel people are a lot better than what we think they are sometimes. And especially what the NRA would say that people are like. I'm convinced that in this Midwest area, and I think in, in all the countries, that there are good people. We just need to emphasize, let's get the good people out. Let's not emphasize, go kill somebody. You're going to win? 
<laughs> I have I have no idea. But let me tell you this. I, I, John Wick and I have, were sat, sat on a legislative forum, and I just told John, I said, you know, it don't make any difference to me if I win or not. I'm already a winner. Because I've had people come up and say, I'm going to vote for you. That's good enough for me. I don't... <laughs> I don't, I don't need to be the one that represents District 4 at Pier. I think I have the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I'm going to ask a lot of tough questions. Uh, and I'm going to force people to think. Do you agree with the DNC, the Democrat National Committee, on their platform? Being a Democrat yourself. You know, I've read through their platform and there's things I don't agree with. Mm-hmm. Say, I've read through a Republican platform, there's things I don't agree with. There's things I do agree with. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you exactly which ones, you know, particularly, but uh, I think we got some real st- difficult decisions we got to make in this country. So my question, the reason I bring that up is if you, I mean, South Dakota is a red state. Yeah, obviously. I mean, it, it just, yeah. it's just pretty clear. Um, yeah, if you look at District 4, uh, we've got 15,000 voters. Yeah. 7,000 of those are Republicans. Uh, about 3,000 <laughs> independents. Oh, 4,000 oh, yeah. 4, um, is Democrats and 3,000 independents. So, so if, you pull, if you win, does that make your seat turning it blue? Does that, at a national level, turn you into a rubber stamp for the Democrat National Committee and their platform? You know, I'm too independent. Uh, I, I'm thinking I, I optics primarily. I would say no. I'm not a rubber stamp. But the national level is a little bit different than the state level, too. Mm-hmm. I think we got to look at that national level. You know, what What do we mean? You know, uh, if you're a Republican, are you a rubber stamp for the Republicans? That's a good question. Yeah. If you are a person that's went to one of these training sessions with Cook and have signed an agreement that says oh, no new taxes or whatever, are you a rubber stamp for somebody? If you have taken a lot of money from a pack, mm-hmm. are you a rubber stamp for somebody? We got to think about those things, and I'm not for sure that in our debate between Republicans and Democrats that we're facing that issue now. Do you think parties matter in 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 uh, in at the local level like this? Not so much at the local level, especially like should, in the should county. Should they be should they be labeled? Especially at the county level, doesn't make too much difference. District four, possibly for some. Uh, for me, it maybe does, because uh, I definitely have a different viewpoint than John Wick. Uh, John's a good man. Uh, there's no problem with that. He's got some different ideas than I do. But uh, Is there value in bringing pretty opposite opinions to the table? <laughs> no, there's no doubt about it. Uh, as an attorney, that's what we do. You know, I bring the factual background the way I perceive it mm-hmm. to the table, and I expect the attorney on the other side to do the same. 
to look at it the opposite, <laughs> right? Well, and I expect them to put it on the table. Mm-hmm. To a certain extent, similar to politics, I expect it to be on the table so we can look at it honestly. Then let's look at the law. Look at what the results might be. Yeah. I can argue the law for the best factual situation I have. And I may prevail. But is that correct all the time? Because the law says what this factual background, this is what it should be. Should the law be emotional? What's that? Should the law be emotional? Should justice be emotional? We try to strip it. Kenya, when you're walking into... When you're into, with people, I don't know how you can. But. When you're walking into a courtroom with a young lady that has been raped by her dad or uncle or whatever, <laughs> can you not have emotions? When you're coming into a situation where a person has been threatened with their life because somebody was threatening them, and you're trying to be the person as a prosecutor to convince the jury that they need to convict that person, can you avoid being emotional? I don't think so. I I think it's your job as people to be emotional. I'm just curious if the law should be emotional, like if, if it should adapt based on the situation. Or if the law should be straight up black and white and is, there's no deviation. Which is really a good point, again, because it uh, depends on which side you're on. You know, uh, <laughs> I have the folks that say uh, it's black and white. You can't have an abortion. And if you have an abortion, you're going to the penitentiary. I have the folks that say, uh, as long as you're a law enforcement officer, whatever you do, that's okay. You're protecting society. I have folks that say, if you're in the military, whatever you do is okay. In my faith life, I have to ask for a lot of forgiveness. Are you? I'm not running for office. <laughs> well, hopefully it gives you some Actually, no, idea. Absolutely. You know, it's... Yeah. Uh, well, and I, I want to know who you are and why, why you think the way you do. And I think that's great. And I appreciate you coming in. Okay. Um, appreciate it. I, uh, how long were you in Vietnam? 69, 70, uh, eight, 11 months. Uh, the worst time of my life. I bet. I was so depressed. Coming was, back, how was that? When I left Vietnam, and that airplane back to the States, I never so depressed as at that point in time. Was that a universal sentiment, you think? or No, it was circumstances right. I had. I had just got back from my R&R to Bangkok, and I had a month to go. And when I got back to the base camp, they told me I was going home. But one of my appointments was there fellow that's a state and worshiper. So I asked him what was going on, and he was telling me what he had done and why he was back there. But he said, Sarge, when you were gone, we got ambushed. The fellow took your position as dead in the RTO. Number of people wounded. So I go to my sergeant major, the, you know, the 
person over me, and I said, yeah, I want to go out to those folks and console them, talk to them. Let them know I'm concerned about them. Nope. You're going home. Well, let me talk to the battalion commander. Talk to about Nope. You're going home. Well, let me talk to the higher echelon. Nope. You got an order, so you're going home. They put me in that airplane. Sent me home. I've got to live with that. Wow. At that point, was was the the atmosphere back home at a fever pitch? Was it just nuts? Like, did, did you get ridiculed when you came home? It was anti-Vietnam mm-hmm. when I got home. You know what? I was not in favor of Vietnam. So when I had served my country, I had to make a very difficult decision. Mm-hmm. And I thank my uncle. Constitution, that's important. Mm-hmm. It's our freedoms. Democracy, and let's not talk about a republic. Democracy. I know the Constitution refers to a republic mm-hmm. or a state, but what we're really talking about is democracy in our country. The right to vote, the freedoms that are granted to everybody, freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedoms uh, that we have are so important. But we're not a straight democracy, though. You can say that with a straight faith. Well, are are we? Yes, we are. Does majority rule? Majority rule. Should be. That's what we want it to be. Do we? Yes. It, I mean, the Senate specifically in the U.S. is not. It is every state, no matter the population, is represented by two people. Yep. yep. That's not democracy. But we elect them. Sure. We elect them. Yes, they're democratically that's elected, the right? But we're represented. Democracy. That's what I talk about. Democracy is, is the the ability to majority puts the representatives in place. Yep. Okay. And they put senators in place. They put right. the president in place. Mm-hmm. Uh, they put well, governors of, in place. Kind of put, put the president in place. Yeah. So, you know, it, that's democracy. we got to focus on that. Um, yeah, I know there's the insidious approach to say we're republic, but what does that mean? What are we looking at? Well, the way I look at it is we are, we elect democratically, majority vote elects representatives who we whether we should or not who we put the power to decide for us in Mm -hmm. and then they get to make a decision they don't have to do it the way we want but they get to make that decision and then we don't like it then we can yell and scream and maybe vote someone else in and you'd be one of those who tell me that democracy means that every decision has to be made by the people correct that's, that's not that's not what we intend by democracy okay. in this okay. country. I, I think it, understanding definitions makes a difference. Yeah. So yeah, the, the right to vote is to the majority, mm-hmm. and majority rules in that respect. Mm-hmm. You got to have decision makers. Yeah, uh, in your business world, you got to have decision makers. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody's got to make decisions. Right. In the military somewhere and make decisions. <laughs> yeah. Choices. Mm-hmm. Are the business people that are wealthy making good choices? Are the people that are poor making good choices? Are all small businesses making good choices? What I deal with 
a young person that wants to go into business for themselves, there's three things that are really important. Number one, you better know something about what you're getting into. If you don't know something about what you're getting into, you're dead in the water. Mm -hmm. You're you're not going to get anywhere. Number two, you got to know what risk you can tolerate. That's your stomach telling you if you can take on the risk. Now, if you can't stand the risks that you're facing, you best go someplace else where you don't have to deal with the anxiety and the risk issues that you have as a small business person. Number three, it's luck. And most people say, you got to be kidding me. It is luck. Yeah. You don't control the economy. Individually, especially as a small business, we have very little impact on the economy. We, we, don't, uh, we don't control when prices go up, when the prices come down. We just uh, deal with it. <laughs> we just have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sometimes we're fortunate that we get into the market at the right time. And we ride it up and we do good. Does that mean that you're an excellent business person? Yes, because you took advantage well, right. of it. <laughs> you but, had the luck right. <laughs> but, and you knew what your risk factor mm-hmm. was so yeah. you could stand it. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't mean that uh, somebody that failed is not a good person too, you know. So. Oh, totally, yeah. It's back to their choices in life of dignity. Well, and that's true. And in my, I'm a photographer for a living. And it fascinates me because I, I watch several different people around the country that I, I, I kind of hold up as, man, if I could do that work like they do, I would be, sure, you know, sure. that would be it. Um, and so I, I look at them and then some of them that I see that are in, I mean, the people they're working for and I know the dollars that they're working in and it's the clients they have. And then I look at some of the work and go, I can do that exact thing. And what it really comes down to is that, that luck piece where it happens to be this person knows this person and they just happened to know you and they referred you. Oh, yeah. And then that door just was golden. Yeah. And that, it's just how it works. So yeah. I, that's fantastic advice. Yep. I'm going to keep that. Good work. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Maybe I did something right. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we probably should wrap it up. You probably have things to do today. Um, yes. I really appreciate you coming in. This has been great. And um, good luck. I'm, this will be out later today uh, on the internet. Okay. So we'll push it out to our people and I just want people to get to know you. And I now know who you are better, and I appreciate that. I appreciate it. And thanks for your lovely wife hanging out in here with us. Yeah. She's been quiet as a church mouse, so. (laughs) Right. You didn't give her a microphone. (laughs) Okay. Dennis Evenson is uh, running for District 4 Senate. Um, It is about a week and a half away. This is the interview. Thanks for listening. Um you're interested whymillblank.com slash podcast to learn more about what we do here whymillblank.com um and like i always tell everyone do all of your own research and then go vote thanks a lot thanks Absolutely. again vote <laughs> have a great day thanks for listening <laughs>